This is Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Each month, we interview experts in the field, discuss the data, and explore all facets of the housing market. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned real estate professional, you will benefit from our insightful conversations and gain property intelligence as we discover more about the key issues shaping our industry. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. The October 24th municipal election is fast approaching, and with it comes the opportunity to address our housing supply and affordability challenges at the local level. In a recent op-ed to the Toronto Star, TREB and the Toronto Region Board of Trade called on the incoming leaders across the region to take bold and coordinated action to address the housing supply issue. The op-ed outlines the barriers to building new housing, the economic consequences of the housing shortage, and some key solutions the city can implement to improve the housing shortage in the coming months and years. Without more of the right kind of housing options, regional businesses will face real challenges, such as labor shortages. To keep our standard of living and drive growth, we need to address the missing middle problem and ensure that more supply is on the horizon. To explore the supply issue and some proposed solutions, I'm joined today by Craig Rattan. He's the Senior Director of Policy at the Toronto Region Board of Trade. Welcome, Craig, and thanks for coming in on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jason. Great. Well, let's start by talking about the housing supply issue in general, especially in the aftermath of the pandemic. You know, from from Tread's perspective, you know, we saw rapidly tightening market market conditions as we move through 2020 and even more so uh, in 2021 as you know very strong demand on the back of improving economic conditions and ultra low borrowing costs we're up against you know real constraint in supply in some neighborhoods around the city you're talking about supply being measured not in months but in weeks or even days in some cases. And so maybe, you know, based on the, the research that the Board of Trade has done over the last number of years, maybe describe how population growth impacts housing supply and what are some of the contributing factors and, and how is the situation, I guess, worsened or accelerated uh, since 2020, especially as we are coming out of the initial impact of the pandemic? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've seen all those same factors that you just mentioned. You know, when you're in a a market like uh, real estate, when it comes down to supply and demand, uh, when you have that increased pressure from demand, it really does put the squeeze on the market. Uh, Even with in the earliest days of the pandemic, you know, when we saw international students drop off a bit and just students in general not coming back to the campuses in the downtown core, that certainly created a bit of a softening in the rental market and some more vacancies there and put some downward pressure on prices. But part of that was also driven by people who had been in rentals, maybe saving up to get into the market, who all of a sudden saw an opportunity or with the need to work from home, realized that they needed more space and were upsizing either within the city or with the new ability to work from home and some confidence that this might last for a while, moving even outside of the city. So, you know, when we look at the main drivers of population growth in the city being births of of new children, immigration, and then those international students, uh, well, we saw some relief in the early days of the pandemic on the uh, immigration and on international students. The the growing population still continued to to put pressure here, uh, particularly in homes that that we saw that, uh, that could have accommodated more work from home space, for example. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And just sort of thinking of, you know, why um, our region grows in terms of population and households on a year in year out basis. I mean, that international migration, whether we're talking about permanent or temporary in the case of say students or, or people taking on sort of longer term projects within the, the city of Toronto or surrounding GTA is key. I mean, our population on net in the region doesn't grow, but for immigration, and I'd argue we're the single greatest beneficiary of newcomers to Canada in the greater Toronto area. And, and from your perspective, the Board of Trade's perspective, concerned with you know economic development, growth in business, and growth in employment, um, you know that's been key for for that scenario for for the growth of the region moving forward. But you know on the flip side of that, for it to continue. You know, we also need to convince businesses, we need to convince households that if they're going to move here, there's going to be a ready supply of, of affordable housing. And that's not just on the ownership front, which is often front and center when you think about media reports and what have you, uh, but also, you know, on the rental side as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that ready supply of workers is a real priority for businesses. And, and the, the more we can grow the labor pool that can access these jobs in the urban centers, uh, particularly downtown Toronto, but really across the region, is is vital to be able to attract those businesses and one of the things we found in a, in a study we did uh, just last year with uh, wood green community services and prism economics we found that over the last decade for every two immigrants who was coming to the city of toronto one person was moving out of the city out of you know toronto york peel to another part of the province so we were really only getting about half of that benefit of immigration for increasing the labor pool that we could have had otherwise. And a main driver of that is the uh, lack of supply of housing. Yeah. And so then when you think about, you know, just think about trends that we've observed over the last decade um, in terms of in terms of transactions being done through through Treb's MLS system. You know, uh, after the last recession, we were talking of less than 10 percent of deals were being done outside of the GTA proper. Now we're talking about, you know, close to 30 percent of the deals being done outside of the GTA proper. And a lot of that has just been, you know, straight off related to uh, to affordability. I mean, if you're a realtor and you have a client that says, look, at I want to buy a single detached home and you know peel region and all of a sudden you realize well that's not possible because of the affordability constraint in large part because there's a lot of other people competing for a constrained supply of housing well you know one of your options is to broaden your scope from a from a geographic perspective and so you know now we we've seen a real uptick in sales you know in hamilton in 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 you know places like waterloo and and, and guelph and barry and peterborough and and so you've seen this expansion and obviously you know some of that was made possible um, over the last few years because of, you know, the ability to work from home or what have you, but it probably has its limit. I mean, you know, Treb's done its study with, uh, with the, the Regional Board of Trade last year, looking at scenarios for back to work. And, and, you know, we are seeing people come back to work if, you know, even on a hybrid basis, and we're seeing more traffic on the roads, we're seeing uh, busier uh, public transit options as well. Um, and, and so obviously those, those constraints present a, a real issue again, when you're thinking about, you know, businesses, in the downtown core and other nodes being able to get a ready supply of labor that's prepared to, to make that commute. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're already seeing people who did that trade-off thinking they could work from home permanently moving far afield and now facing that commute even a couple days a week, something that they didn't have before, they're maybe second guessing and thinking about where they might move. Uh, but to just add another layer on top of this, in addition to the office workers, you know, we're looking at 
the, some of the essential workers in our economy, people in, in healthcare, like nurses or construction workers. And because of the giant labor shortage we have across the province, there are vacancies everywhere. And the salaries for a lot of those jobs are going to be pretty consistent, whether you're working in downtown Toronto or in Sarnia. And so if someone has some ties at somewhere else and is seeing that their that trade-off for their quality of life might be better moving out of the GTA, then it's going to be pretty tempting for them. So this really is an issue we need to address if we even just want to keep our hospitals functioning in the city. Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, oftentimes we think of, of the availability of jobs as a real draw or a carrot enticing people to move here from all around the world. And, you know, in most cases it would be, um, but you got to make sure you're able to house them or otherwise it becomes uh, a, a vicious circle whereby, you know, you, you continue to have these, these uh, uh, um, positions open because you can't entice people. And so, you know, in order to keep that economic development engine going, uh, you know, it, it's imperative that we have that supply. But I, I want to switch gears a little bit before we move to solutions and just sort of think about uh, or think beyond, I guess, the inefficiency of having to travel longer, longer distances to, to get to work just from a time and inconvenience perspective, a productivity perspective, but also think, you know, from, from an environmental and, and climate change perspective as well. Um, because, you know, whether you're taking an automobile or carpooling or taking, you know, some mode of transit, it all has a hit uh, um, in terms of energy use. It all has a hit in terms of um, pollution and, and, and climate change. So maybe, you know, talk about that a little bit more in terms of, you know, if people are looking further and further afield uh, um, to find affordable housing, there's also a climate hit there too, isn't there? There is, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, from the climate perspective, the most efficient thing would be for people to be able to work work where they live. Uh, work from home was actually really great from a climate perspective, really helped reduce emissions by eliminating all of those commutes. But when people are, are moving further afield and then driving into the office or into their place of work, you know, and, and that's when we get back to that massive congestion on the 401. And all of that is, is really bad for our province's emission factors. And And particularly if they're moving out to try and find that that ground-oriented, large single-family house, that house is probably going to be less energy efficient than a smaller unit they'd be living in if they were still in Toronto. And uh, and on top of that, just to run their daily life, they're probably not living in a walkable neighborhood where it's easy to pop down the street to grab groceries. So driving is a much bigger factor in their daily life as well. So put all of those factors together, and it's really that that giant uh, spread out of where where new housing is going and. Uh, having people still anchored to the city to bring in those commutes that is is really bad for you know our emissions trajectory if we want to try and be getting to net zero as a as a province yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And connected to that, too, is, is just sort of planning smartly. I mean, we've talked a lot mm -hmm. about, you know, needing more supply in the aggregate. We've talked about, you know, in the past, and, and certainly it's going to be an important election issue, getting a greater diversity of housing built, you know, that sort of missing middle concept that we'll talk about more um, in, in a second, but also, you know, building this greater diversity of homes in conjunction um, with the, you know, the, the huge transit investment that we're seeing unfold across the, the, the GTA and broader greater Golden Horseshoe uh, right now and so there's a broader integration so it's easy to walk out your door or hop on some mode of transit get to work and come home you know without the 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 need to make you know multiple stops or get back in your car and get to your house and and this type of thing and so making that whole sort of network more efficient um, will be important as well and i think you know credit where credits do i mean when, when we were in 2016 2017 and market conditions were extremely tight and we were talking about the need for more supply a lot of people are saying well that's a red herring i mean we need you know this tax 
impacts or this change from mortgage lending guidelines. And what we found is that, you know, those changes came online and they didn't really have any kind of, you know, long-term impact because we quite simply weren't keeping up um, with, uh, with, with population growth. And, and certainly we weren't keeping up with building a diversity of homes that would see people move um, through that, that housing continuum. And that kind of gets me to the next thing I wanted to ask you, like what, what are some of the barriers um, to building new housing, both, you know, just talking about, you know, number, the numbers game, seeing more homes come online in the aggregate, uh, but also, you know, thinking about building that, that, that greater diversity of, of housing. And maybe we'll start with the, the financial side first. I mean, what are some of the financial barriers that, you know, a developer or a home builder is facing? And, and certainly some of that, those, those financial uh, um, uh, barriers or costs get passed on to the ultimate end user of the home as well. That's right. I mean, it's a it is a really challenging environment right now to try and build new homes that people can afford. The the developers in our membership who I've spoken to uh, are raising the the massive inflation in construction costs and in labor costs that they're they're handling because of the the tight labor conditions that they're having to pay their workers more. Uh, the supply chain is causing huge challenges and driving up costs for the components and parts that they're looking for. And then with the current interest rate environment, that's also driving up their cost of borrowing and financing to get these projects built. Uh, but then you layer on top of that the various government fees and charges that are being put on there. You know, the city of Toronto just increased its development charges and parkland levies and, and new policies like inclusionary zoning that are coming into play. And I think when you when you put all these things together, it's in a, in a softening interest rate environment where home prices aren't just, you know, continuing to climb upwards, yeah. what they're seeing for the first time is that the, the math isn't working and that there are projects that are starting to be put on ice because they just don't have the confidence that they'll be able to build it at a price that people will be willing to pay. Yeah, and I, I think you put it correctly when you talk about the layers and, and, and the layers have been kind of been been added on over the last decade and it's become really hard. And, and, and I 100% I, I agree that, you know, in the short term, you know, it makes sense that you've seen builders just take a bit of a step back because of the uncertainty. Is there going to be demand for the product they can bring online, especially that they got to bring it online now at a substantially higher cost uh, because of all these sort of cost layers <clears throat> that are associated with it, either policy induced or, you know, broader global economic issues that have caused supply chain issues and, and, uh, and, and inflation. Um, but, you know, looking forward, it, it, it's it's it affects what we're going to see in terms of housing supply five and ten years down the road because if you're not selling those units at the sales center, a lot of the two investors who will then bring them to bear on the market upon completion again half a decade to a decade down the road and bringing them to bear either as rental units or selling them to the ultimate end user, um, then then that'll exacerbate the housing supply issue that we're seeing right now because essentially any completions we see over the next you know three to five years are based on sales that we saw pre-pandemic in, in, right. in a lot of cases and so really what we see today at the pre-construction sales is affecting where supply is going to go a decade from now um and, and the outlook quite frankly isn't good um and, and and so you know thinking about population growth and thinking about the continuation of tight market conditions notwithstanding the shorter term impact of a boring cost is something we really need to be concerned with and, and and concerned with it now and and one way of bringing on um more housing quickly um is to switch gears into something like the uh like the missing middle Right, where you can bring online sort of medium density housing a lot quicker than perhaps you know a 500 unit high rise 
Um, and, and we did work along with Urban Strategies a couple of years ago, um, looking at, you know, what does Missy Middle look like in the context of both new developments as well as infill developments within existing, you know, built up areas. And, and when you look at those different design concepts, you look at how those different housing forms could integrate into the neighborhood, it looks great. Uh, but at the same time, there, there's impediments to bringing online. So, I mean, what are some of the solutions that we could use to overcome those impediments, overcome those roadblocks to bring online more, you know, missing middle housing, bridging that gap between traditional single family homes and condo apartments? Absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing we need to do is to end the exclusionary zoning that is stopping it from being built in so many neighborhoods across the city and in, in really cities across the province and North America. In, in Toronto, 70% of the residential land that we have, uh, it's called the yellow belt. That's its color on the zoning map because you yeah. can only build a single detached or semi-detached house there. And so just by making it, by changing those zoning rules and making it possible to build that triplex, fourplex, maybe even a, a small walk-up apartment building uh, in a form that, like you said, can just fit really naturally into the neighborhood is, is that way to try and really spur things ahead. So the, the city has a, a plan in place. It's called the Expanding Housing Options in Neighborhoods Program. And that uh, is coming back for a vote uh, soon after this election in early 2023. And I think we really need a mayor and council on board who will implement that plan and can, can set an example and a foundation for other cities across the region. And one of the things as a board we have called on is for the province to take those rules and put them in place for cities across the province, because there's no reason why people shouldn't be able to have those options in whatever community they're from. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And also it, it kind of segues into the fact that, you know, this provincial government has been taking a more active role, I guess you could say, in the in the development process over the over the last number of years. And we've seen, you know, proposals for a strong mayor system or what have you. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, that at least in part is, is linked to the recognized need for, for more housing as well. And so, you know, there's a lot of debate around that too, in terms of, you know, which level of government is best suited for, uh, um, you know, driving the, the housing supply issue forward. And, and you know, I, I think there's debate around, you know, local accountability versus the efficiency of getting things done. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on, 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 on that issue? Absolutely. There's a role for all levels of government. Even if the province set this new standard, it would need to be in dialogue with municipalities because there's, quite frankly, there's a lot that cities uh, can do to stop housing from being built. And I think we've seen pretty clear examples of that over, the, over time of uh, all the different creative solutions they can come up with to try and prevent projects from happening. So I think the real key here is to try and spur that competition. I would love to see each level of government competing to see what it can do to get more housing built and trying to make that the incentive rather than kowtowing to the voices of some local residents who are really concerned about change because change is coming. And if we don't build more houses to accommodate those workers, that change is going to look like neighborhoods getting older and wealthier and smaller. And all of a sudden people will wake up and not have a personal support worker that can help take care of them and to stay at home. So it, it really is, I think, a challenge that we need to see these governments working together and, and each competing to see what they can do to bring more supply online more quickly. Yeah, and it's very important. I mean, and, and just to finish off, maybe the last thing I wanted to speak to is, is the, the economic imperative associated with. I mean, we've talked about the fact that our economy doesn't grow, but for population growth and people taking on jobs and spending money in the economy and that sort of, you know, virtuous circle um, that, that, that results. Um, but, you know, at the, at the same time, it's important to understand that, you know, just activity within the housing sector itself 
um, has huge local and regional, you know, you know, spinoffs. And so just thinking about research that, that Treb has done, you know, we found that for each home sale that's reported through our MLS system, you know, you're seeing close to $70,000 of additional spinoff expenditure. And unlike some other sectors, the great, great majority of those spinoff expenditures take place locally, right? You're hiring professionals, whether it be, you know, realtors, lawyers, inspectors, and what have you, you're hiring a moving company, you're going out and buying furniture, you're having renovations done, and all that kind of combines to billions of dollars of additional spinoff expenditure um, accruing to the economy. And, and so, you know, not only from an attractor seeing people move into the region, and obviously that feeds economic development, but just that activity, both in the resale side of the market and clearly you know when you're building new homes there's a lot of spin-offs there too in terms of jobs economic growth and even importantly government revenues um, you know, thinking about the need to fund, you know, infrastructure and social services and what have you, the taxes that are paid as a result of activity in the housing market that accrues to all three levels of the government, you know, is key um, to, to, you know, rolling out uh, services over time. And so maybe you're just sort of thoughts on the overall economic imperative associated with housing, you know, as we finish up today. Absolutely. I, those numbers that you have are, are really compelling. And I think, tell that really strong story of the importance of making sure that we have uh, a housing market that's fluid where people don't feel trapped in, in where they're living right now. They have the ability to move and upgrade if they want to and the, the economic benefits that come from that. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, if we look at the, enti the entire economic picture, uh, you, can't have, you can't have workers or customers if people don't have a place to live. <laughs> And so, uh, and so housing really is one of those key enablers of a strong and healthy economy. And I think uh, we have so much going for us here in this region. We are a hotbed of innovation, of financial services. We have incredible ingenuity, longstanding manufacturing and food processing industries. Uh, there really is such richness in this, uh, in this region. And if we don't solve this housing challenge, then we really risk choking that engine of growth. And so we really, you know, it's really important to us as a business organization to make sure that we're driving that economic narrative and making sure that we're clearing those roadblocks that could stop our, our continued growth and prosperity in this region. And housing is one of those really key pieces that we need to make sure that we're building uh, and, and that we can have both strong societies and a strong economy. Yeah, that's very well said. And I think it's a great point to, to end off on, you know, uh, the, the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board and the Toronto Region Board of Trade. I mean, we've had a great partnership over time and it's clear we're very much aligned on the imperative of bringing, you know, more supply online. It's, a, it's an economic development issue and we'll continue to be moving forward. And I think we have a great opportunity of bringing that to the fore um, as we see, you know, the election campaigns unfold at the, uh, the municipal level. So again, thanks again to Today's guest, Craig Rattan from the Toronto Region Board of Trade. Uh, really appreciate your, your insight on, on housing and housing supply and, and the economic development associated with that. So again, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jason. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Trev's Ready to Real Estate podcast. Thanks to you for all joining us and we'll see you again next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B.ca to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in.